What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. I appreciate everyone for tuning in today and always constantly showing me support. If you haven't done so already, you can go give me a follow on Instagram at English Encore Podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. You can check out all of my Instagram live sessions that I've done in the IGTV section. You can email me or DM me any questions you have about the show or about my shirts that I just recently put out. You can go check out my last live session with Laney College head coach John Beam from the Netflix series Last Chance You. Really great conversation with him. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy out there. Today, I'm going to be going over the Bills-Rams game, talking about the Blue Jays and clinching a playoff spot, and then going a little bit over the Buffalo Sabres' current roster after the Eric Stahl trade and what upgrades they could still make through free agency or trade. I know I've done a little bit about that stuff in the past, but want to do a little bit more now that we've acquired Stahl and we also re-signed Curtis Lazar and what that means for the bottom six forwards for the Sabres. But starting off with the Buffalo Bills versus the Los Angeles Rams. I hope every Bills fan had a drink after yesterday's game because it was a doozy. So the Bills obviously rolled in the first half, got out to a huge early lead, saw it all dwindle away after going up 28-3 to before we saw the Rams come all the way back and take the lead but not before Josh Allen was able to lead the Bills down the field in the fourth quarter game on the line, converting a huge pass to Cole Beasley on third and 22 to extend the drive before ultimately hitting Tyler Croft, the unsung hero of yesterday's game for the game-winning touchdown to move the Bills to a perfect 3-0. and They will travel on the road next week as they'll be playing at 4.30 in Las Vegas in their brand-new stadium. But overall, I just want to go over the good and bad once again like I did last week. This week, we're going to start with the good. The good part of the Bills game, Josh Allen is in the MVP conversation. Josh Allen has been unreal through three games thus far. If there were any you know, critics of him saying that he couldn't do it against any good teams, well, he proved them all wrong yesterday. In fact, in the entire first half yesterday... Josh Allen carved apart the Rams defense, and a very good one at that. He finished the game 24 of 33 for 311 yards, four touchdowns, one interception with also one rushing touchdown. I will note that interception was a bunch of baloney. Should not have counted. Tyler Croft clearly was offensive pass interference, no doubt about that. No Bills fan is going to deny that. But the fact that he caught the ball and then went to the ground with it and then they still called it an interception was mind-boggling to me. Um, Devin Singletary and Gabe Davis really stepped up big. You know, no Zach Moss yesterday. TJ Yeldon played a very limited role. Devin Singletary got very much involved in the pass and run game was averaging above four yards a carry. So that was a great sign for him. See him get going. Was very good in the open field when he made defenders miss. As I mentioned before, Tyler Croft, unsung hero. Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley coming up for the Bills when they needed them most. Um, you know, John Brown left the game early, so we hope that he is fully healthy going into next week. 
Matt Milano is going to get paid a lot of money. You could definitely tell the difference between the Dolphins and the Rams game, just as far as, um, you know, how much more in sync the defense was. Not that the defense was great at all the second half of the game yesterday, but Matt Milano was flying all over the field, making a bunch of great plays. You could tell that he was definitely missed. Um, the whole first half in general, 21-3 going into half and then coming out, seeing Stephon Diggs burn Jalen Ramsey after he said Josh Allen was trash coming out of the draft um, was really great. The offense finally could bail out our defense for a second straight week. I couldn't tell you the last time that watching a Bills game that you get into the mid to late fourth quarter and you're, you know, I feel like few years ago when we had Tyrod or EJ Manuel, whoever the quarterback was, um, you never felt comfortable late in the fourth quarter because you didn't think you had a great chance of winning games because your defense really carried you. Now it doesn't seem like that. Now it seems like there's a good balance that the Bills offense is finally producing a lot more points. Um, our defense hasn't been nearly what it was last year. I feel like we will get that corrected. And I'm sure there's going to be points during this year where our offense isn't going to be clicking and our defense will probably bail us out of a few games, but it's nice to see it go the other way around this time. Um, obviously, 3-0 is a great start for the Bills. A um, lot of positives take away from this game, but there's also a lot of negatives. Um, everything and anything outside of the first you know, half and the you know, first drive and the last drive of the second half um, – the Bills were atrocious, especially in that second half. You know, obviously we go down, take the 28-3 to lead, and until that last and final drive, we were awful. The offense was bad. Josh lost his cool and took a couple bad penalties. Um, you know, the refs got involved, but I'm not here to blame the refs. Um, obviously they, had, they dictated some of the game between the, you know, interception call, Josh getting the face mask, you know, Aaron Donald potentially missed horse collar, you know, all these things, you know, people today in the media are saying that the Rams got screwed because of the pass interference call. Was it a little iffy? Yeah, but it goes both ways. The Rams still had a chance to stop the Bills on third and 22 and after that penalty. So you got to give Bills credit where credit is due. And I don't think people still do that enough. But overall, our defense was awful. Wide receivers were open left and right. Jared Goff, had all the time in the world in the second half compared to the first half where we pretty much steamrolled the Rams both offensively and defensively. Um, you know, I don't think we're getting nearly enough pressure that we need to. It was clear and evident that Tremaine Edmonds isn't 100% healthy. He was missing a lot of tackles, not moving as well as I thought he was going to. Again, though, he didn't practice all week. He was in red contact, so he didn't really have in-game-like reps, so hopefully... Um, as long as he came out of this game a little healthier, he'll log some full practices and get back to form this week. Um, Travis White didn't have a great game. You know, they only threw him a few times, but the times they did, they were successful. He got burnt across the field with Cooper Cup um, for a late touchdown. I know Trey White will be better. Um, Sean McDermott, though, I think needs to start doing more in the second half of games and realize that he needs to make more coaching adjustments on the fly. I don't know what it is about just either the Bills in general or maybe it's just McDermott and the coaching staff. What is it with this prevent defense? I just don't get it. You get a big lead and then all of a sudden your defense is like 
it just seems like the Bills are casually fine with letting the Rams or any other team they play dink and dunk their way down the field because, you know, they're eating up some clock and, you know, they think that their defense is good enough that once they get inside the 20, 30 yard line, that they're going to either get a turnover, get a stop or force them to kick a field goal, which is all well and good. But if your offense goes back out and doesn't score again, well, then if you just can continue to keep doing that like they did yesterday, granted, I thought the Rams executed very well in the second half, and I don't think it was even the fact that Bills were playing off of them, but they still were playing prevent defense. After they took that 28-3 to lead, they were letting the Rams dink and dunk to Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and just letting them pick up yards um, after the catch. And you can't be doing that against elite teams. Yeah, we got lucky and got away with one this week. When you play the, you know, the 49ers, the Chiefs, the Ravens, uh, whoever you potentially see in the playoffs, you know, the elite of the elite, that's not going to work. You cannot take your foot off the gas pedal. You had the Rams on the mat, one, two, two and a half, arm coming down from the referee for three, and you let them kick out. You cannot do that against great teams. Like I said, am I happy the Bills are 3-0? Yes. Did the offense do great things? Did the defense do great things? Yes. But overall, the performance outside of you know Josh Allen and the offense, especially on the defensive side of the ball outside the first half, was very concerning. You know, this defense got carved apart by Fitzpatrick and them, you know, in the second half last game after having a good first half. And doing the same thing, playing prevent defense. Sean McVay was dancing circles around Sean McDermott in the second half yesterday. And that's something that he has to start doing more. He has to make more in-game adjustments. It feels like in a lot of these close games, the Bills just kind of go with the game plan. And, you know, that's all well and good. But if things are changing, you got to be willing to adapt on the fly. And I think McDermott hasn't done a good enough job of that in his coaching career thus far with the Bills. McDermott is a great coach. I'm glad he's the coach here. I'm glad he's going to be a coach here for the foreseeable future. But when it comes around to the playoff time and against these bigger teams, he has to start being able to compete with them both on and off the field psychologically. You know, you have to be able to make the in-game adjustments. You have to be doing the work off the field to see things. You know, you've worked and know, you know, Doug Peterson and Andy Reid who won Super Bowls and stuff. You have to be at that level. And I know Doug Peterson just pretty much on the hot seat right now, but he's won a Super Bowl and you have to be able to, you know, match the level of these other great coaches. Yesterday I thought Sean McVay out coached McDermott um by the end of the game. I think McVay overall, I think the Rams outplayed the Bills for you know, the entire second half pretty much. And there were chunks of the first half where the Rams looked really good. But um, the defense is definitely a little bit concerning. Um, the upcoming games against the Raiders, Titans, and Chiefs, you're going up against, right as of right now, two undefeated teams and a Raiders team that just beat a very good Saints team but also lost to the Patriots. Um, it's going to be a big test for the Bills. Two out of those three are on the road. You could potentially be staring at Kansas City, both 5-0, and um, depending on how the Chiefs do tonight against the Ravens. But, um, you know, definitely some great things take away. Like I said, Josh Allen is continuing to ascend. Um, he's proving myself as well as a lot of other people wrong. He's in the MVP conversation. 
He is the franchise quarterback for this team. The offense is 10 times better than it was. Brian Dable's been doing an excellent job. Um, and if the defense can get back to where it was last year, I think the Bills are going to be a very hard team to beat. But until we get to that point, I think there's pause for concern. Um, I'm excited that when Josh Norman comes back to see what our secondary will look like full strength, I think when Edmonds gets fully healthy, um, I like to see Tyrell Dotson get some more snaps. And I think the Bills could definitely be um, a force to reckon with. Um, next, moving on to the Toronto Blue Jays or the Buffalo Blue Jays. They clinched a playoff spot, finishing the season 32-28, and including going 17-9 and in Buffalo at Salem Field. So definitely a little bit of a home field advantage for the Blue Jays. They played really well while they were in Buffalo. Um, they're going to be facing the Reds, or excuse me, the Rays in the first round of the MLB playoffs. And it, honestly, I think that's a good matchup for the Blue Jays. And the reason I say that is because whether it's football, basketball, hockey, whatever it may be, baseball is no different in that for some reason, even if the series is lopsided, like, you know, the Blue Jays and Rays matched up this year 12 times and they went 5-7 and seven against them. So almost 500. You know, even if the Rays had won, you know, 11 out of the 12 games, there's always something about divisional matchups against your rival or just someone in your division that the games end up being a lot closer than they are or they should be regardless of talent. Like the Yankees have a ton more talent than a lot of teams in the AL East, especially a team like the Orioles, but the Orioles still always play the Yankees tough because it's a divisional game. For some reason, when you play against someone in your division, there's always something a little bit more on the line, whether it's pride, whether you just want to beat them, you know, whether you want to prevent them from getting into the playoffs, you want to bump their seating in the playoffs, whatever it may be, um, the games are always a lot closer and a lot of things could happen. That's why if I'm a Blue Jays fan, you know, I'm not like terribly worried about playing the Rays. Yes, the Rays are the best team in the AL right now, um, in my opinion, but the Blue Jays have all the firepower on offense to win a series like this you look up and down their lineup and there's just hitters and you know power hitters everywhere you know you have Guerrero Biggio Guriel Bachet Hernandez all guys that can get on base all can hit the long ball all can hit balls into the gap and are also very solid defensively the biggest concern if I'm a Blue Jays fan is pitching because outside of uh Hunji Rui uh, who's 5-2 and two overall, um, their pitching's been very suspect throughout the year where you look at the Rays and pitching's one of their very strong points. The Rays are a very interesting team because um, they're almost like, they're almost built like a Bills team is that, as far as NFL comparisons go, because, you know, the Bills are never going to get the credit they deserve sometimes, but, you know, the, the Rays are kind of the same way. I feel like a lot of teams sleep on the Rays, and it's because they don't have, like, the stars. They don't have an Aaron Judge. They don't have a Mike Trout. They don't have a Manny Machado. They don't have a Clayton Kershaw. They're just very well built um, throughout their whole lineup. And I think a big reason why they don't get enough credit is just because of who else is in their division. Because, you know, the Red Sox just such a big team name. You have the up-and-coming Blue Jays, like I said, with Guerrero, Bouchette, Biggio, all these great young stars. Um, obviously the Yankees with 
you know, Judge and Stanton and, you know, Torres and LeMahieu and all these guys, Garrett Cole. The Rays really don't have that, but they're just so built top to bottom and play together well that um, it just works well for them. So it's definitely going to be an interesting series overall. I do think the Rays are probably going to end up winning it, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. And if I'm a Blue Jays fan, I definitely think you could win this series, and I wouldn't be too concerned overall with the matchup itself. Um, I think the Blue Jays, this is a stepping stone for them for the next three, four years coming, that they're going to be a playoff team for the next three to five years. And I think that they could make a legitimate run at the World Series if they can bring in a few more pitchers and Pearson continues to develop into the star pitcher a lot of people think he's going to be. And then finally for today's final topic of the podcast, we're talking about the Buffalo Sabres. So I've kind of detailed a little bit about the Eric Stahl trade, my thoughts on that. In the past, I kind of went through and did some um, episodes on one player from each NHL team that's a free agent that the Sabres should go out and get. I've talked about a lot of trade opportunities, but it was really hard to you know talk about that stuff because the season was still going on. We didn't know when the next season is going to start because of COVID. You know, Kevin Adams hadn't made any moves yet, but now after he's made a few little moves, he's brought in Eric Stahl, he's signed in Curtis Lazar, you can kind of get a better prediction of what they want to do going forward. So I just want to talk about the Sabres lineup, what it looks like right now, and what holes I feel like they need to address, and some free agents, and maybe some trade targets that I haven't really talked about before. Um, so looking at the Sabres lineup right now, this is all also assuming they bring back a handful of the restricted free agents or unrestricted free agents that they um, haven't signed yet. So looking at the lineup as of right now, you have Victor Olofsson, Jack Eichel, and Sam Reinhart on the top line, assuming both those guys get signed. Now that you acquire Eric Stahl, you have him and Jeff Skinner on the second line. Now that third spot on the second line is very interesting. You've heard Dominic Cahoon's name thrown in there. You've heard Tage Thompson's name thrown in there. I've also heard the idea, which is actually my favorite idea, is having Dylan Cousins starting off at the right wing position um, to really just watch Eric Stahl develop a little bit more and make Cousins not just thrown into that third line center role where he needs to drive a whole line himself. Um, and the big reason I like that idea is because that allows you a little bit of flexibility. And if you truly want Casey Middlestad to be a center in this league and you don't want to try him at wing, or you need to see how he's going to be at a third, fourth line role for you at center. Middlesat's got to be your third line guy. Cousins can be your second line. He's talented enough to do it. He can play alongside two very good players in Stahl and Skinner. And they're also going to be nice because Skinner, even though he's a little bit smaller, he's a very fiery guy. Stahl is very well built. And he'll be able to be out there to kind of protect Dylan Cousins a little bit, um, you know, in his first year. As far as, you know, if he takes a big hit, you got to have guys that are willing to respond for him. Um, show him the ropes a little bit more. So I like that idea. Cahoon's also very interesting, but I think I would go Cousins at the second line right wing. The only reason I don't like that, and it was a great uh, topic brought up on the Sabres podcast with Joe DiBiase and Jordan Haskin locked on Sabres, is that they did the same thing with Sam Reinhart in that Reinhardt was drafted to be a center, and then they put him on the wing, and he was successful there, so they kept him there. The last thing you want to do is even if Dylan Cousins goes to the wing and is very successful, you need him to be your second, third-line center um, going forward in the future. I think he's obviously going to be your second line in the way future, but at least in two, three years from now, you need him to develop into that second, third-line role. 
um, as a center, not as a winger. It's more of just a one-year development thing, letting him get his feet wet in the NHL for me. Um, but then you look at the third line, Tate Thompson, a guy they're still w- waiting to see if he has potential. Yeah, hurt last year. Cahoon and Middlestat would be the other two that I put on that third line. And then the fourth line with Curtis Lazar re-signing, I think that pretty much puts a writing on the wall for both Gergensons and Larson, which I've detailed many times in the past. I fully agree with them moving on from both, and it's not because that they don't serve a role and aren't good players. It's they've just been part of this losing culture for so long. You need to put those guys out and bring in more people. Um, so Lazar and Oposo are definitely going to be on your fourth line. Oposo, um, obviously you're stuck with him because of the cap hit. But that other wing side is really where you start having to talk about free agents or guys in Rochester that could be ready. Um, is C.J. Smith or Rasmus Asplund the guy that can come up and step into that role? We don't really know that yet. Um, you look at the defensive core. You have Rasmus Dahlin, Henry Okiaru are basically locks for your team. Um, Ristolainen and Montour are both guys I personally don't feel are going to be here. I don't think they're going to qualify Montour, so I do feel like they're going to trade him for something. Um, Ristolainen's kind of a guy that, same type of thing, he's probably your biggest trade asset and he has a little bit of a cap that you can move him for a potential second, third-line winger, whether that's packaging him in a deal with a guy like Middlestat for a Sean Monahan, whether that's moving him to a Winnipeg for an Ehlers or Roslovich, another second, third-line center or right winger in some sort of deal. Um, Lawrence Pilot still a question mark. I think the Sabres will eventually get him back to serve as that second, third-line role. I don't think Jake McCabe will be back either. I think guys like Will Borgen can step up and be in that third line um, defensive role. Olmark is definitely going to be back. I would highly doubt Carter Hutton's back. So just looking at some other free agents that I haven't really talked about before that the Sabres could bring in to fill some of those roles. Um, I look at a guy like Patrick Maroon who has great NHL experience, veteran, been a part of multiple Stanley Cups, could come in, be third, fourth line guy, grittier player still capable of putting up 25 to 35 points every year um another guy that you hate using the room locker room culture but the Sabres need to start building something like the Buffalo Bills did and bring in guys that you can build a winning team around and right now we have so many guys have gone through losing you need to bring in players that have been to the cup won the cup and can play significant minutes for you and make impact. I'm not talking about Connor Sheary or Matt Hunwick like Bottle did. I'm talking about guys who legitimately change playoff series like Patrick Maroon has done in the past couple of years. I look at a defenseman like Justin Schultz who's dealt, dealt with some injuries. If you can get him on a cheaper deal, I think he could slide into a second, third line defensive role that would fit really well for Buffalo. Mike Hoffman's a name that the Sabres have been rumored around before. I think he could also slot into that second or third line right or left wing role. He also has the ability to play some center if you would like to try him at that third line center position. Um, Anton Gudobin is a goaltender that's right now in the midst of a Stanley Cup run where he's potentially going to want a lot of money, but because of age, the situation, if you offer him a chance to come in and compete with Allmark, um, maybe he would come here. I think Dallas might want to hold on to him because of Ben Bishop not being able to really do anything. Um, And then Michael Granlin, I think, is the most uh, familiar name that I like. Just because he's a center, I think you can plug and play him at the second or third line center role, and you could rotate him and stall. 
I think that gives you flexibility if Cuz is playing on second or third line. A wing along with Cahoon, whoever wants to be second or third, doesn't really matter. It's really up to Ralph Kruger. Um, so I think overall, I think the biggest concern for the Sabres is the wing spots and then the third line center role, whether it's going to be Middlestack Cousins bringing in another guy. And then outside of Darlene, Okiaru, and Colin Miller, what those next three defensemen are going to look like. Is it going to be Montour, Rista, Linen, um, and McCabe again, or are we going to get three new guys? I think it's going to be very interesting to see, but uh, we'll see hopefully find out here in the upcoming weeks with, you know, the draft going to be coming up and, you know, hopefully with free agency, Adams will start making some moves, but that's going to do it for today's episode. Everyone appreciate everyone for tuning in. I will be back on Friday with another episode. I'll be previewing the Miami heat and Los Angeles Lakers NBA finals matchup, talking a little bit about the MLB playoffs and how the series are going in that. Cause those start tomorrow, Tuesday. And then I'll also be talking about the winner of the Stanley cup, um, and just some other NFL news. So thank you everyone for tuning in. This has been English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel.